Second Chronicles chapter 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did right in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he did not enter the temple of Yahweh, but the people continued acting corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of Yahweh, and he built extensively the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the hill country of Judah, and he built fortresses and towers on the wooded hills. He fought also with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed over them so that the Ammonites gave him during that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The Ammonites also paid him the amount in the second and in the third year. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before Yahweh his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham, even all his wars and all his acts, behold, they are written in the book of kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Ahaz his son became king in his place. Our next reading will be in the prophet Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. Yahweh has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. We'll turn now in our next reading to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Verses 35 through 43. Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Let us turn now to the back of our bulletin and say together as a congregation, Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Sheol. The third day he rose again from the dead. He uh, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the <clears throat> forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Father, now we come into your presence to hold fast to your confession. Our confession is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that from your word you would speak to us your message to McKinney Bible Church that we might follow and be faithful and pursue you and do as Chronicles says, seek after you. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. Death is the leveler of all. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how ugly you are, It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're secular or religious. It doesn't matter if you're reformed or non-reformed. Everybody dies. So we went to the funeral up in Arkansas where the five kids burned up in the car wreck caused by a drunk driver. And it was a glorious service. Some of you watched it, I suppose, on the internet. Two hours and 20 minutes, the longest funeral I've ever been to. But of course, it was five funerals packed into one. And what was interesting is uh, I saw there people I hadn't seen for 10, 11, 12 years. Well, I guess I shouldn't say I saw them. I shook their hand anyway. <laughs> and among some of the people that I saw for the past uh, 10, 12 years, there's been a chill because of my theological change. You know what? Death destroys the chill. All God's people come together at death 
And it boils down to this. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died. He was buried. He rose again. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. This morning we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 27. And chapter 27 is about Jotham. And uh, it is, mm, I believe, the shortest chapter of the book of 2 Chronicles. Shortest chapter of uh, all of Chronicles. And it comes in a succession after Athaliah usurped the throne of kings of which it is said of all of them, he did right in the sight of God. But of course, we've already seen that all of these men who did right in the sight of God really had flaws like we have, and even flaws that seem more fatal than maybe some of our flaws. So that Joash, who was raised by the priest Jehoiada, and, and, and grew and followed as long as he was alive. But after he died, some men persuaded him to go back to other gods. And he went and the priest's son, Zechariah, gave them a message from the Lord. And Joash had him put to death. His son, Amaziah, also is one who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But when he was going to go to battle against the Edomites, he enlisted with 100 talents of silver or gold, I don't remember which, uh, a mercenary army from Israel, and he was rebuffed for it because God was not with them like he was with Amaziah. And he went to battle eventually, and he scored a great victory. And once he scored the great victory, he brought back their gods. And he made them his gods. And he, too, was rebuffed. And then you come to Uzziah. And chapter 26, which we looked at briefly last week, of Uzziah, the same thing is said. He did what was right in the sight of Yahweh. And there's just an incredible list of his accomplishments, which God had helped him bring about. And it was said of him he grew very strong, uber strong, Way up there, strong. And he gained victories, and he established fortified cities. He built walls. He put up towers. He made weapons of war, and he had inventions of, uh, of slings to throw large stones, what I call the first cannon, and, and, and sling arrows so that from the wall surrounding in Jerusalem they could shoot at long distance of their enemies. And when God had helped him so much, he became so proud. And what he did is he entered into the first room of the tabernacle to burn incense. And we saw that last week, and the long and the short of it is, he was struck with leprosy. And he was hurried out by Azariah and the 80 priests. And he hastened to get out because he was struck with leprosy. And he had made the temple unclean because he's now unclean. And the temple complex has, on this side, the temple itself, and right next to it, the king's palace. It's all part of the complex. And so, as an unclean person, he could not live in his palace anymore. He went elsewhere to live, 
and there was a co-regency with his son Jotham, who was over the land doing the judging. And we're told that Uzziah was a leper until his death. Well, it just so happened in the writing of Scripture that in the year of his death, Uzziah received a vision. When you come to the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you discover that Isaiah's name comes up more than once in Chronicles, but here's the first occasion of it. And he is the one person we're told that Isaiah wrote a record about Uzziah. In the first year of Uzziah's death, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord lofty and lifted up and his glory filling the temple and the robe of his train filling the temple and the seraphim crying out, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The full earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. He sees all of that. Now, I want to make a proposal to you. You may shoot it down, but think about it. Uzziah died figuratively when he contracted leprosy. He could no longer come to the house of the Lord. He could not worship with the throng of people. He was an unclean man until the day of his death. He wasn't like Miriam and Aaron who uh, spoke against Moses because of his Cushite wife. And the Lord rebuffed them at the doorway of the tabernacle. And Miriam walked away with leprosy. And for one week, the whole nation waited on Miriam, who at the end of the week was cleansed. Not Uzziah. He was a leper until his death. And leprosy means, well, put it in Old Testament picture of the tabernacle, you're pushed outside of the camp you got to walk around and say, unclean, unclean. You don't want anybody to touch you, or they'll be unclean. And you cannot go to the tabernacle until you're clean to worship Yahweh. When you are not with Yahweh, you are a dead man. So, in the year of Uzziah's death, think about it. Isaiah is a prophet who serves during Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So right somewhere in the beginning of his prophetic ministry, Uzziah is doing all this wonderful stuff, all this achievement, the text says, with the help of the Lord, and then he gets so proud. Now, how can that happen? Well, of course, we know that sin can infiltrate into anyone's life. People who have seemingly been really drawn by the Lord and driven to Him commit sins of great catastrophe. But now we're talking about a king who reigned for 52 years. I don't know how long he had leprosy. We're not told that part. And he's a king who, when he came to the throne, he wrote out a copy of Deuteronomy so that he would know how to judge and rule. He knew full well, over here is the king ruling the people, and over here is the high priest and his priests who can enter the complex of the... He knows that. He knows that stationed inside the courts of the, ta of, of the temple are men ready to kill those who enter who should not enter. He knows all of that. He's a man who was doing everything right in the sight of Yahweh, and then what happens? He gets so proud that he becomes unfaithful and acts corruptly. Well, that word acts corruptly is a word that actually means 
maybe to go to ruin. It means destruction. It's a word that's used in connection with God destroying Pharaoh. He did deeds that were worthy of destruction. He acted corruptly. So, how does one get there? Here's my proposal. I'm not, <clears throat> now I've got to turn to the text. If you're not at 2 Chronicles chapter 27, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 27. And just notice, we, we looked at it last week in conjunction with King Uzziah, now with King Jotham. You have the standard introduction, and he comes to power, and his mother's name is given, and so forth, and he does right in the sight of Yahweh. And then you come to the end, and it's repeated. He was 25 when he became king, and he reigned 16 years, and he died, and he was buried, and so forth. It says... And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadak. And he did right in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he did not enter the temple of Yahweh, but, but the people continually acted corruptly. So just the first observation, back in chapter 26, when Uzziah entered the temple, he acted corruptly. And you take a leader, and leaders are leaders because people follow them. And we have a president now that is leading a nation in corruption. Wouldn't you agree? And it, I mean, it goes way back. But it started with President Obama, who came to power, opposed to homosexual marriage. But in the middle of his power, he changed his mind because his two girls accepted homosexual marriage. And what happened? The floodgate opened up. And his vice president, now our president, Joe Biden, took it all the further. So, here's what happened. Uzziah acted corruptly, and now what happens to the nation? Well, even though Jotham is doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, and is following in the ways of his father, and did not act corruptly by entering to take the place of a priest where he doesn't belong. Nevertheless, the people are doing what his father Uzziah did. They are following the pursuit of corruption. Well, in their case, they're worshiping at high places when the place to worship is at the temple. But here's the thing. Jotham learned not to enter the temple. Uzziah got so proud he did enter the temple. But why? My proposal is this. My proposal is that all the kings knew a little bit more than maybe we give them credit for. And my proposal is that Uzziah understood a bit about Psalm 110. That one day, the king would be the priest too. And he's got, God is helping him so much. The fortresses are growing. The defenses are there. The people are at rest. He's making improvements on the agriculture and the land. It's just a great ride. And he thinks, well, I'm the one. I'm going to be the priest now. Well, when you think about Israel back in 1 Samuel, they did something very similar. Well, at least in conception, very similar. 
They asked for a king. God had planned all along to give them a king. Deuteronomy has prescriptions for what the king must do and must not do. All along, God planned for a king. But Israel wanted a king to be like the other nations, and it really troubled Samuel the prophet. And God told him to give them a king. They're not rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting Yahweh God. So here's something that is planned, but Israel jumps ahead. Here's something that's planned, and Uzziah jumps ahead. And now his son comes to power. And he comes to power during uh, his father's leprosy. He takes charge. And how, how the years are counted, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Mr. Jordan back there does know the answer to that, but I do not know the answer to that. And then when you, when you just notice then, here's this, here's this, this uh, hint by way of sin that king and priest are going to be one, and you come down to our day, and of course it's found in it's found in, in, in type in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek, which the writer to the Hebrews exploits by his name. He's first the king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, king of Jerusalem. And so he, he, he becomes in one person priest and king. And so the answer is found in the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both priest and king. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever, according to Melchizedek. The second thing I want you to notice is Uzziah did what his father did. Sons tend to copy their dads. Well, they don't copy everything. Sometimes they just copy the worst things. In this case, he copied some good things. So when you read through the record, it's high as read it for us. We won't spend time looking at that. He did a lot like his father. It's in a much briefer form now because Uzziah's is widespread, but here he, he goes to war and he has conquests and people pay him taxes, tribute, and, and he uh, builds and fortifies just like his dad did. But what distinguishes him is he did not do the one bad thing that is recorded about Uzziah. He did not enter the temple. So he followed the good parts of his father, but the bad part he rejected. He threw that off. That is Jotham. Now, Jotham's name means Yahweh is perfect, or you might say it this way, the perfection of Yahweh. His mother's name, Jerusha, means inheritance. His father's name means the strength of Yahweh. So the strength of Yahweh and inheritance got together and she had a son who was named Perfection. Well, of course, he wasn't perfect, but in the record of his reign, we're not told of him doing something wrong. So we're left with the impression, okay, here, here's a picture of what lies ahead, that is, perfect one is going to be born and putting the two together the perfect one that is born is also going to be priest and king now if you would look down at verse verse 8 in chapter 27 it says he was uh, 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in, I've got the wrong verse. 
Look at verse 7. Uh, nope. Verse 6. There we go. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before Yahweh his God. Now, Chronicles is filled with just repetitions of same words. It helps you understand the book uh, somewhat easily, and we've seen this. So what happened in chapter 10 at the end of the chapters, there's a record made of Saul who was unfaithful and who was seeking a medium instead of seeking God. And when you get down to the end of the book at chapter 36, Zedekiah is unfaithful and his people are unfaithful and they are willing to, unwilling to follow the Lord their God even though God sends them prophets and messengers in his word and they mock and they scoff and they will not do it. So there is no remedy the wrath of God comes. So you know that all through the book, you're not supposed to commit an act of unfaithfulness, and you are supposed to seek after Yahweh God. That's what Jotham did. No act of unfaithfulness like his father and like other kings that we've seen and other kings that we will see. It says, so Jotham became mighty. The word mighty is another word that's used all through Chronicles about the kings. And the word mighty here means uh, strong. And lots of times it's, it means established. In other words, you've lived in such a way that your kingdom is established out there. That's what happened with Jotham. His kingdom is established. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before Yahweh, his God. Now, there's a word for seek. Saul sought a medium. And David urges his son Solomon and the people to seek after Yahweh God. And it's a message that rides all the way through. And we talked about that last week. We're supposed to seek after Yahweh God. But now here's something different. In verse 6, So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before Yahweh is God. This is a word that means to make firm. It's translated sometimes steadfast. It is an act of the will to decide, to set your mind on Yahweh God. I'm going to, I'm going to be established in him my heart is going to be set on him it's not going to be set somewhere else it's a word that occurs for example for example in first uh, Sam, uh, Samuel chapter 7 as Israel is uh, our Samuel's talking to Israel and Samuel said to all the house of Israel if you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to Yahweh and serve him only. There it is. Okay? You've been doing this. You've got to turn around and go this way. And you have to make your heart firm to Yahweh. Hard set on Yahweh. Grounded in Yahweh. That's what Jotham did. That's not much found in our own day. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29... David prays the same for the people who have come and they've made a great offering. And David prays that God would set these purposes forever in their mind and direct their hearts toward Yahweh. Second Chronicles chapter 12, speaking of uh, uh, Solomon's son. What's his name? 
There you go, Rehoboam. I'm getting old. <laughs> Speaking of Rehoboam, it said, And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. Now, we can go passage after passage. And the problem is we get some, some mixed messages that you, know, you have to stop and ponder. There are twi- there's once that it's said about, not Rehoboam, not Jeroboam, chapter 17 through 20, Jehoshaphat. <sighs> Why do you go out and help the wicked, the prophet says to Jehoshaphat. But there's some good in you because you've set your heart to seek Yahweh God. At the conclusion of what's recorded about Jehoshaphat, it talks about what he's done. Yet, certain things haven't been removed and the people had not yet set their heart to seek Yahweh And this is a refrain that resides through it. And it's something you see in the Psalms. We just read together Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. And verse 8 has that word in there, to set your heart. And if you think of Psalm 57, my heart is steadfast, steadfast. I will sing praises to your name. It's that word. My heart is given, set right here. I've decided this is where it's going to be. And so, sometimes it's translated directed. That is, you're on the move. You're moving this way. You're moving, moving closer and closer. And sometimes it's established. It's translated as firm because it's grounded there. It's not going to move. That's the point of it. It's not going to move. Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter. Chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that he has seeing that his divine power has granted to us uh, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, Peter's using uh, pairs of words that group together his... his, uh, Glory and excellent, his glorious excellence, which is sometimes translated his glory and virtue, his divine power. And what you see in verses 1 through 4 is what's happening is God has called us to himself through Christ and he's made just outstanding promises. And the book of 2 Peter is going to be about one particular promise that he has made and that has to do with his coming. 
And we've been grabbed up and we have become partakers of the divine nature. Psalm 82 calls people gods. You are gods. They're judges in Israel. But here in Peter, we're put into the God-like class. We participate in the divine nature. And that, that shouldn't surprise us because the Lord's high priestly prayer, prayer in John says that we're to be in Him as He is in us. We're one with Him. Now, we're not God, but we're made in the likeness of God. And in Christ, we're being brought back to what was lost with Adam. And so he's talking about this faith that they share with the apostles with its promises. And so he says in verse 5, this is where we want to look. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance, endurance, and in your perseverance, your endurance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly love. And in your brotherly love, uh, excuse me, and in your brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So we're given a faith. And now we're going to build on this faith starting with moral excellence. What is that moral excellence? Well, that, that's a big question when you go out to reading what people think it is. But it's classed with his glory. And I want to suggest to you that this is what we call in endieties in Greek, and they go together. And so when you want to find out what moral excellence is, you come over here and you discover what glory is. Well, that might be a little hard to define, too. But we know that glory has to do with all of who God is, his weightiness and all that he's done. And we call that excellent. And then God restores us into the divine nature to being, be brought back, but in a fuller sense of where Adam was when he was given what? He was given glory. You see it in Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, but you've given him glory and honor. So this moral excellence has to do with where we've been brought back to, and now to all this we add these various virtues. And when we add these various virtues, then we discover... As it says in verse 9, for he who, uh, excuse me, verse, verse 8, it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the, knowledge, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, these virtues, is blind or myopic, having, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, you guys can see, I can't see a thing. Now, I want to tell you, when you can't see, it's trouble. And so, if you're adding these things, the trouble disappears, but if you're not adding them, the trouble comes. You know, so you can see, got myself a little ding right here. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happens because I'm getting old and I forget a little bit of what I do and I pull a drawer open to get something out and then I'm doing something else and then I'm going to reach down and get something down on the floor and right on the drawer. <laughs> so it's not, to be, it's not good to be spiritually blind or myopic you're not useful, and you're not fruitful. Therefore, he says, brethren, be all the more certain. Now, here's the word certain. It's the word 
firm, grounded. We're picking up on have a firm heart, have a directed heart. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, our time is gone, but I have to take a little extra here. This book is about a promise, and it's written to a people who live at a certain time. Of course, all the Bible is written to us in a certain sense. It applies to us. It has application to us, and we learn how God works in it. But this epistle was directed to a certain group of people at a certain period of time with a certain promise that he's concerned about. And the promise is the coming of the Lord Jesus. And of course, there is a promise to us of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We call it the second advent. He is coming again. But the promise that he's talking about for them is not about the second advent. It's about the promise that Jesus made. If anyone's ashamed of me or my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. And some of you standing here will see the glory of his kingdom. Six days later, he took three disciples up onto a mountain, a holy hill, and they saw him transfigured. Now, that transfiguration means something, but it doesn't mean the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they were all alive when Jesus was resurrected. It doesn't mean the day of Pentecost because they were all there at the day of Pentecost. It doesn't mean the resurrection from the dead because some of them won't be alive when the resurrection of the dead put. They'll all be alive. But I mean, before, they're all dead and buried. They're gone. It means one thing. It means when Jesus promised Caiaphas but you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of glory. Was he really telling Caiaphas that? Yes, he was. And when did he see it? Well, he saw it in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and Judaism came to an end and Rome no longer had power over God's people and what Peter is telling his readership who are Jewish Christians is okay he's coming he's coming look down at verse 16 of chapter 1 for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic Glory, this is my beloved Son in, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven 
when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the promise, we have the promise, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star is born in your heart. Now, it's crucial we get this right. So here is all these virtues, and Peter is saying, okay, make your heart firm because Jesus is coming. And if you're ashamed of me, If you don't have a firm heart at the coming of the Lord Jesus in his Father's glory with all the angels, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you. But if you add these, add them. Make your heart firm, directed towards Jesus. So you add to virtue, knowledge, and brotherly kindness, and perseverance, and, and love, all these sorts of things, then you're fruitful, you'll never stumble, and when Jesus comes, he's telling the readers to Second Peter, you will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know our time's gone, and you don't understand that completely, but first, go home today and read Second Peter. And go back and read the passages that come out of the Gospels and ask yourself, when could this have been? Well, setting that aside, Jesus is coming again at his second coming. And we are going to stand before him at his second coming. And we are going to be judged for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And we are going to be recompensed according to what we have done. And what we want, what we want is to make our calling and our election firm. How do you make it firm? You make it firm by adding these qualities. Because when you see your life growing and changing, you know, I belong to him. When you're lethargic, spiritually lazy, falling into sin, you wonder, what's wrong with me? Well, Jotham, the perfection of Yahweh. Jotham, Yahweh is perfect. Jotham was a man who didn't violate the temple like his father did. He did what was right. And he became strong because... He directed his ways to the Lord. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for Chronicles and the repetition of the kings of Judah. We see them in their following you and in their flaws. And uh, we know that we're very similar. We follow and we're flawed. And we all know that we need to be like Jotham. So we pray that you would give us a directed heart to the Lord Jesus, to hold fast to him and to add these virtues into our lives. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>